Hey, welcome to High Upside, the Ringer's new NBA Draft podcast, where we'll be talking about the ins and outs of the 2017 NBA Draft. My name is Kevin O'Connor, and I'll be your host this draft season, and I'll be joined weekly by my friend and fellow Ringer staff writer, Jonathan Sharks. And today, we're going to be discussing the changing, evolving NBA, which is getting quicker and smaller with more shooting and spacing. Today, we're also going to debate how the modern league impacts top forwards like Jonathan Isaac and Jason Tatum. But before we do that, our intro music is courtesy of the band Oso Oso. The title track is called The Plant Mouth, and Oso Oso's album is called The Unihon Mixtape, which is out now through Seal Mountain Records. You can find Oso Oso on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, anywhere you listen to music. Thank you to Oso Oso for their music and for being listeners of the Ringer NBA show. Anyway, on to the first edition of High Upside. Let's do this. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. I'm excited for this podcast. I'm going to be like Joe Johnson. I'm going to hold the ball, get a lot of takes, and make some bumps. Hey, man, take all those takes. He's been hitting some good ones this playoffs. Speaking about the playoffs, but before we discuss the forward prospects of this draft, I think we really need to provide some context of what's happening in the league right now, and we're seeing it in the NBA playoffs that may influence, I think, team decision-making in the draft and going forward. Teams are going smaller, playing five-out offenses, five shooters on the floor, switching on defense. The league looks a totally different today than it did just a few years ago. John, what are you seeing in the playoffs, and is this what the future of the NBA it looks like it sure seems like it It feels like in every series it's just every team is getting smaller and smaller like that rocket spurs series a great example of that it started out with two bigs for san antonio two bigs for houston and now we're at game four ryan anderson's playing five and Jonathan Simmons is playing four. Do you so in, in your article on Friday, you kind of alluded to that with Jonathan Isaac and OG Ananobi that they're going to be kind of centers of the future. Right now, they're viewed as forward prospects. W- with the way teams are playing in the playoffs, why do you think that that style has been more effective in the NBA, and why why that will be the style going forward? Well, I think the start of it. I mean, it's hard to know exactly where. Probably it's just this. I mean, it's a spread pick and roll, and it's guard shooting threes off the dribble. So like Isaiah, Steph, Dame, to an extent. If you don't have guys who can switch the screen and guard like 25, 26 feet from the basket, they're going to score like every time. So it really doesn't matter how big and strong you are if you can't guard on the perimeter. So I think we're, you know, the Warriors are obviously, you know, the team that does that more than anybody else. You wrote last year on The Ringer, one of the first articles I think you wrote, you know, the Warriors are setting the coordinates for the NBA's future. That's something I've always remembered reading because, you know, it's true. And we're seeing that now. The Celtics do that a little bit when they put Al Horford at the five. The Cavaliers do it when they put Love at the five and LeBron's at the four. And other teams are doing that, too. So in this year's draft, you know, there's a lot of prospects that I think teams are going to look at and try to build that way because in the next five years, I think we're going to see those slower-footed big men not not really disappear. They're not going to go extinct, but they'll have a much lesser role. So I think the emphasis more so than anything else, like you said, is on guards that can shoot off the dribble, big men who can switch, forwards who can switch or play up a position. And that's the way the league is going to change. And that undoubtedly has affected our rankings. So to set the table, you know, with our podcast here, can you go briefly through your top 10 prospects, Jonathan, and then I'll do mine as well. Yeah. Well, I guess... I think a good example of this, before we get into the top 10, it's just like the Raptors last year. 
when they drafted Pirtle and Siakam in the first round. Yeah. They're not bad players, but they couldn't find minutes for Jonas. So they have like four or fives in their roster and can't play in a playoff series. So like, what's the value in that really? And that's kind of kind of I looked at it. Unless you're a really really special five, to me you're gonna fall a little bit. So I've got I go Mark Hill one, Lonzo two, the top two point guards, and I've got three forwards: Isaac, OG. That's probably the biggest kind of surprise there at him with four, Josh Jackson. And I've got Dennis Smith and De'Aaron Fox, six and seven. And then Tatum, Zach Collins from Gonzaga, and Laurie Markin from Arizona in the top ten. So I have Fultz at number one as well. He's kind of the clear number one for me. And then I have Jason Tatum at two, ahead of Lonzo Ball at three, and De'Aaron Fox at four. I have Josh Jackson at five. And then to round off the top ten, I have Malik Monk at six, Jonathan Isaac at seven, Dennis Smith at eight, Lowry Markin at nine, and then OG Ananobi at ten. From our rankings and our personal discussions that we've had, the guys we kind of disagree on the most are Isaac and Tatum. So let's start with Isaac because he was really the key focus of your article on Friday on The Ringer. You you kind of compared him to, I don't want to say you compared him to Draymond Green, but you used Draymond Green as the standard for the new big man in today's NBA. And you've seen Isaac as kind of one of those guys. So but I, so just to define who Isaac is, he's a six foot ten freshman forward from Florida State, averaged 12 points, 8 rebounds, 57 effective field goal percentage, Charks, besides the fact that you and Isaac share the first name, what's good about Isaac and what makes him your number three overall prospect? I mean, Jonathan Desmond gift from God, just pointing that out. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I look at him, like, you plug him into, like, let's say the Spurs Rocket series. Mm-hmm. You could play him at five against Ryan Anderson or David Lee. And then, like, that gives you all the versatility of a guy who can guard out in the perimeter, plus a five who can shoot threes and take you off the dribble a bit. So you can play... I feel like he's probably the most versatile player in this draft, possibly, where it's like he can play small or big as the biggest. He can be, he's the biggest small, basically. I think the league is going towards big, small players. I'm getting confused myself, but he's the biggest small in the sport. If that makes <laughs> it sense. makes sense, though. In a weird way, it makes sense. So, what's your take on it? What's your take on Jonathan Isaac? What do you have, so what do you have Matt? I have him at, uh, what was it, six, seven, okay. right behind seven. Monk. So, so, with Isaac, look. I, I agree with really, you know, totally your assessment in terms of he does fit that profile of that versatile player in the NBA. I do have questions maybe if he can handle some of those bigger big men uh, like the Carl Anthony Towns of the futures of Joel Embiid stays healthy, but I don't think you're going to play him in those matchups anyway. I, 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 don't, I think there's situations you can put him in the floor and he can play that small ball role for you, whether it's at the four and maybe occasionally at the five. And I think I think there's going to be tremendous value in that type of player in the NBA in, at the next level in the NBA because that's the way the league is going. I think more and more players are taking on that role, especially when you consider the fact that on the offensive end, he can spot up and shoot. So he's not a zero on that end like some, um, I think, versatile defensive players might be. He's not a zero on the end. What's your take on his offensive upside? Well, to me, that's where I really feel like you have to move him up position, play him at the four, maybe even the five. Because as a wing, he's pretty average. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's going to dominate the ball take you off, take Smog off the dribble. Like, if you compare him to Tatum, Tatum is way more skilled than him. So if Isaac's playing with two other big men on a cramped floor, he's not going to do all that much. So he has to be in more space. You want to, like, you want to put him against guys who are bigger and smaller than him as much as possible. Whereas I think if, Tatum can create against If, if the league's going smaller, though, you know, so if, if all teams start going smaller and there are fewer and fewer teams that are playing with big players, is he actually going against those big players that, that, would, that would, as a result, make him more effective offensively? I mean, I guess that's like the ultimate question, right, is how far are we going to go with this? Like in that Rocket Spurs series, what if Kawhi plays five eventually? 
I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. How would that change your evaluation? Let's pretend that that's what the league looks like in five years. Kawhi Leonard is a starting five. Okay, that's roster. a little. Why not, right? Let's yeah, just, why let's not? Let's, let's go. It. Let's go wild. What What yeah. if that's what the league looks like when I, when Isaac's about to hit his prime, 24, 25 years old, five, six years from now? What if that's what the league looks like? How, does that change like what you think of him, or are you really basing it off the fact that traditionally teams are probably going to be conservative, and it will take them more and more time to really adapt to that if they ever do? Well, I think that, and also if Isaac, if you're, as you go into like a super small ball, he can block shots and rebound really well for a guard. So I think he'll be okay at that role to me. I mean, I feel I'm okay with that. I think as he puts on more weight, he can even, he'd be a great role, man. Which I don't think he ever got to do it at Florida state. That's the other thing too. There's so many guys in this draft, like a big wing, like Isaac or Ananobi, like let him roll to the basket and spread floor, which you never see do at the college level. I think there's ways to use him beyond just ISO at the mid post, Carmelo Anthony style, Jason Tatum style. So speaking of Tatum, it's kind of the pivot to him right here. He, he's the forward I have number one on my board of the top top forwards, and he's number number two overall behind Markel Fultz. Uh, for who for people who don't know who Jason Tatum is, he's a freshman forward who went to Duke. Six foot eight, six foot eight has good length, averaged seventeen points, seven rebounds, two assists, silky smooth scorer, super smooth. Excellent ball handler, gets where he wants. He reminds me a lot of Danny Granger, maybe even a little bit of Paul Pierce in him. He has that go-to scorer type of mentality and game. Um, you have him eighth, though. Why? Okay, Kevin, I want to ask you first. So I want to like Tatum, but I feel like I just see so much Rudy Gay. Talk me out of that comparison right now. So I, th- I think, well, uh, my question first to you is, why do you see Rudy Gay in him? When I see Danny Granger and I see Paul Pierce, what makes you see Rudy Gay? Well, like, to what, me, what Tatum there? doesn't look to pass very much. He's, I wouldn't say he's selfish. He's just a one, I feel like he's a very one-dimensional, like, scorer. He wants to get ice with the ball 18 feet, go at the rim. He's not really a passer. He doesn't move the ball very much. And to me, he's a good athlete, not a great athlete. I feel like he's kind of trapped in the middle there of this new, like, positionless league. So to me, he's just... I look out of my worry, is this guy going to be an inefficient isolation scorer at the next level? So, look, I think with Jason Tatum, Paul Pierce wasn't a great athlete either. I, I just see Tatum and I see somebody who is a teenager and his footwork and his fluidity, his ability to handle the ball and create space despite not being a great athlete, despite the fact that he does certainly have some limitations. That's worth acknowledging. I just think those guys with that level of feel. They, see, to me, they, his they feel isn't that high compared to like a Paul Pierce. Like I don't see him passing the ball too much, but maybe that's just he, he can pass it. though. I, I I don't I don't know if he's a non-passer. It's not like he's a complete ball stopping ball hog who only wants to play ISO. Like so, it's I, this isn't really a, like a player to player comparison, but in terms of ball stopping, Julius Randle is the guy that comes to mind to me in college at least. I thought he was more of a ball stopper and well, he's more of a post. Yeah, more. Yeah, I mean, you could say Tatum's a post player too. I think that's one of the knocks on him is that his game is more mid range oriented in a league that's that's going towards. Okay, the, uh, the here's my question. So, like, compare him to these other Duke guys, like Jabari and Rodney Hood. How would you stack up Tatum to those guys? They all kind of play the same spot at Duke. I love Jabari Parker, and mm-hmm. I, I think I still think he has a chance to be a super, super great player if he manages to stay healthy. I think you know with Parker, he's with his size and his fluidity, his ability to handle the ball for his size, he could be a matchup nightmare, especially in the current NBA and the future yeah. NBA, as we said with Isaac. So, like, could Tatum guard Jabari Parker, or is he just too skinny to do that? 
I think Tatum him. can guard. Yeah. I, I think with Tatum, his his defense, it's not great. I think you know his mentality needs to change a lot on that end. I think he needs to certainly stay more engaged. But he's long and he can move his feet. I'm not really worried about him. And then with his jumper, look, he's not a knockdown guy. He's not like a natural shooter. But with but with Tatum, I've seen comparisons to Demar Derozan, and I, yeah, I, I think it's silly. It's yeah, silly. Tatum is a better shooter today at 19 years old than DeRozan is yesterday at 27 in the NBA playoffs. DeRozan as a freshman at U- USC shot like five for 40 or something like that from three. Tatum isn't a natural shooter by any means, but he's not a non-shooter. 85% okay. from the free throw line, 34% from three. I think that's projectable for him. And and my big thing though is like this, this is why I have Tatum number two. In today's league, as much as ball movement matters, as much as playing playing small matters as much as three-point shooting matters sometimes one of the most important skills and the hardest skill to find is fourth quarter scoring a guy who can get you a bucket at the end of games when the game slows down it's a half court game and you're calling a play out of a timeout sometimes your best play it can be that isolation i see tatum as that guy a really good team can lean on see i keep going back so i went to the mcdonald's game two years ago when they, when it was like Tatum, Josh, all those guys are in high school. And I, when I first look at Tatum, he was going up against Josh Jackson for like 15 minutes, like the scrimmages. And then Josh just got right in his face, pressed him up at the three point line. And he couldn't do anything like the level of athleticism was so that's stuck in my head. The last year and a half is like, when he goes talking up against about these practice, <laughs> it's a scrimmage. I mean, that's more important than the game in the McDonald's. I go a lot about that. Like to me, those scrimmages are those just one on one play. I don't think many scouts value McDonald's a whole lot. No, not not the game. The practices are pretty valuable. Like to me, when I saw Miles eat up uh, Jaleel two years ago, I was like, this two can't play in the NBA anymore. Like when you go in the practice for an hour, it's me on you, one on one, let's go, check ball. And Josh Jackson got in Tatum's face, and Tatum couldn't get around him. That's what I'm worried about. Tatum is a very good ISO scorer. But against your elite, elite everyday athletes like a Josh Jackson or like an Iguodala or a Durant or a Kawhi, I'm not sure he can really. I feel like he has to kind of be the second or the third guy. He has to. Have, he has to be like in the Rodney Hood role, not the Gordon Hayward role. If that makes sense. So, so what keeps him at eight? If like let's let's say you don't think he'll be a go-to scorer, what keeps him at eight for you, and not dropping him to fifteen or twenty? Okay, because I, mean, I think he can be that fair. second or third win. Yeah. And like to me, the guys ahead of him are your primary ball handlers. I have four primary ball handlers ahead of him, and then my two like freaky small ball five guys, and then Josh Jackson. So I so mean, you, it's really about team building philosophy. In yeah, some ways. yeah, definitely. So with Jackson, the thing I really like about him is. So we talked about versatility with Isaac. We talked about scoring with Tatum. Jackson kind of blends that in some ways. He might not. He's not quite as good of a defender as Isaac. He's not quite as good of a scorer, I don't think, as Tatum. But he does both of those things quite well, I think. And so for him, he also brings the element of being able to pass the ball, handle yeah. the ball. I think he could play that point forward role. I think he has the best feel of those three guys. If I was like, just play basketball for an hour, I feel like he could integrate to the team really easily. It's just that jump shot with Josh. That's always a question. It's been a question for years. Do you buy that jump shot? You're more of a shot doctor than me. What do you think of that jump shot? Oh, man, I I wish I could buy it, dude. I really do. I really wish I could buy it because he had a stretch this season for people. So kind of like, you know, 
lay some background for Josh Jackson. So entering the season, I think everybody probably expected him to have a poor three-point percentage. He ended up shooting around 35%, which isn't great, but it's not bad either. And he had a stretch mid-season where he was shooting like lights out from like 45% for like two straight months. Just ridiculous, hitting everything. The thing is, is that he doesn't have good jumper mechanics, and he still had some pretty horrible misses where he misses to the yeah. left or the right, clanking it off the backboard, air balls. And sometimes, you know, the quality of a shot can be more indicative of the quality of a shooter more so than the actual percentage. For sure, the process, man. All about that process. A- absolutely. What, process what, matters. What was trade the percentages? It was like 55%, I think. It was, it was in the 50s. And, that and really worked. Like, there, there's been studies done by nylonCalculus.com. That shout, out to calculus. Ni- shout out to Nylon Calculus. That have looked at, at Jackson, not Jackson, but have looked at historically what's more important, what's more indicative of a good three point shooter from college to NBA. And free throw percentage has a stronger correlation from the college game to the program more so than three point percentage does. That could be for a myriad of reasons. I think one of them is sample size. And even if Jackson or, you know, another player took. 153 point attempts in college that isn't really a large sample in the grand scheme of things and so with jackson that's one of the keys for him you know we talked about you know you know with versatility and how much that matters in today's nba but you still need to be an impactful player in the half court um do you do you well how do you view his game if the jumper isn't for real and if for his entire career let's just say he's a he maxes out at a 30 percent three-point shooter how how does that change your evaluation of him because we both have him at five does he have to be a small four then? Kind of like MKG, but a little better shooter if he's not shooting jumpers? So that's the tough thing with him is, you know, that brings the question back to how much can he play that? I think it depends, again, like on how the future of the league looks. He's he's versatile and he can certainly defend multiple positions. He's a badass on defense, yeah. but he's thin. He, he's got a thin frame, he average have wingspan. Arms. Yeah, and he lacks length and bulk, uh, you know, I, I would argue. And and that that certainly can be a limitation. He might look big on the college floor, especially when he's got that big fro out there. But put him on the NBA floor and suddenly he might look more like a two guard. Right. No question yeah. about it. Yeah. I mean, he struggled against Deontay Burton. Like that Burton was like, a, I mean, he's a freak, but no, you're like 230, 240 pound guy. He might have. He might need he might need to get bigger. And he's a little older too, which I guess isn't a huge deal, but twenty and not nineteen. Which I guess it does matter. They've done study, studies on that too. With with Jackson long term, I think one of the things that's really important to focus on with him is, you know, more so than with any of the other guys we're going to talk about from the draft today is his ability to really play some point forward. I think in today's offenses in the NBA more teams are playing multi-ball handlers, being able to attack you from different angles, give you different looks. And I think that's one of the things that I really, really like about Jackson. Even if his shot isn't great, even if he just maxes out as an average shooter, I think his ability to bring the ball up the floor, he's a good rebounder, can bring it coast to coast. He can really finish well at the rim, you know, when he has a full head of steam. I, I see him as, you know, bring immense value in the transition game or in the half court when if a team is willing to put hit, put the ball in his hands as as really a point forward playmaking role how do you view that john yeah i can see it i mean here's a question for you how would you compare him to like justice winslow and aaron gordon they all kind of fit that same general mold of athletic <laughs> combo forwards who maybe can't shoot but can handle and pass a bit we we talked about this before and i have a type and my type is those forwards that can do yeah. everything everything on the floor 
except for shoot. <laughs> and Josh, Josh, Josh Jackson really fits that mold, as you said, with Winslow and Gordon, guys like that, who I loved in the draft and still like today for that matter. Um, those guys that, you know, they're, their ultimate success level largely depends on their jumper. And, and that's the fear with Jackson. That's that's why this draft season, I've kind of moved him around my board a little bit. I had him at three at one point. I had him down at six or seven at another time. And right now he's at five. And it's really fluid there. I mean, like, you know, when you ask for my top 10, like it sometimes it changes. I mean, by the end of this podcast, I might have Jackson at six or seven behind Smith or Fox because it's it's fluid. And, and, and the evalua- evaluations are still changing, I think at this point especially with the combine coming up later this week so with him look man uh, i i think i think you're really banking on the three-pointer but i i still i still think his passing ability really does add an extra wrinkle that that does him a a different dimension on the floor i mean maybe it's fair to say with isaac tatum jackson he probably has the highest ceiling the lowest floor of that jumper like if that jumper becomes really good he's gonna be awesome if that jumper doesn't come Tatum and Isaac, I think, have higher fours because you have more faith in those jump shots than Jackson's. So, so you think he has higher upside than the, the guy we're saving to talk about last, OG Anadobi? Well, OG's my that's my type. That's my boy right there. I got him once higher than Jackson. I think his upside could he be even higher than I'm giving him credit for. I don't know. He's played so little basketball comparatively to the rest of these guys, at least high level basketball. He's kind of the dark horse prospect in the, in this draft. No he, question. He, he he tore his ACL to finish his college his career after two years in Indiana. Multi positional defender, but he's raw offensively. So when I when I think about OG, right, um, I think about something Mike Lombardi said on the GM Street podcast with Tate Frazier. He said nice. there's four four types of scouts in sports, and they all begin with the letter P: poor scouts who can't recognize talent, picker scouts who pick on one thing a player can't do right and overlook all his strengths, projection scouts who simply grade the projection, then they're, then grade the production rather, then there are projection scouts who see the talent and project the player forward. And I think that's what you really, really need, need to do with OG Ananobi more than anybody else. So John, when you look into your crystal ball, what do you see in OG Ananobi's future? Well, to me, I, I think he could be He's not doesn't have the playmaking ability, but I think he really fits that Draymond type where he can legitimately guard bigger centers. I, I remember someone was saying in my article, I wrote an article about, I wrote an article about Isaac and Ananobi, and they're like, what's he going to do against Carl Towns? Well, the best guy I saw guard Carl Towns this year was uh, like, uh, the guy from Miami, James, James Johnson. Johnson. I feel like he has a lot of James Johnson in his game athletically. Like, and he's got that crazy body, super long arms, elite athlete, very fast, strong hands. He can probably guard one to five. I mean, I think that is like the selling point in Anobi is I, he can legit guard one to five. He's one of the best athletes I've seen in a long time coming into the NBA. Assuming the knee's okay, which who knows, right? Yeah, and that, that's why I have him 10 right now. I, I think, you know, we disagree most on Isaac and Tatum. And Ananobi, I have him 10th, you have him 4th. But the only reason I have him 10th is because we don't know how, how he'll look after the torn ACL. I think as a player, you and I were super high on him before a lot of people were before last year's draft when I thought, you know, maybe he could be a mid-first-round draft pick even after just, just his freshman season and maybe could have even slipped into the lottery. And this year, we're talking about him as a top-10 guy. And, and that's that's after with, you know, something that I wish I wish he showed more 
during his sophomore season in, in Indiana. His jumper didn't improve that much. He wasn't necessarily better defensively than he already was, but that's, that was a high bar anyway. Would you have liked to see more improvement from him freshman to sophomore year? Well, I mean, it was just tough because he got hurt right when the team, you know, started Big Ten play. I think it was tough, too. They didn't have Yogi Ferrell this year. They never really have a point guard. It was very unsettled. Obviously, Tom Crean got fired this season. So it's hard. It's just hard to say when he got injured so early in the year that he didn't improve enough. I mean, to me, the thing with OG, there are, he'll show flashes. Or like he'll do a, a Euro step move or a sidestep through traffic. And you're like, there's no way a guy that big and that fast should be able to move that nimbly and that like coordinated. But he'll, he'll just do every once in a while, he'll do something that'll make you be like, man, if it ever comes all together for this guy. Like I, I went back and watched the game where they played Kansas opening night. And he was just like, him versus Josh Jackson was like, oh my gosh, this is just a bigger, faster version of Josh Jackson. Jackson had nothing he could do on him, but he couldn't get around him. I think my concerns with OG are come on the offensive end of the floor. I, I, as much as you know, you can project forward with him and, and see him shoring up all of his weaknesses, but the, the list of weaknesses is kind of long. And, and that's, that's where I'm a little bit concerned with him because, look, he's got his sloppy footwork. He has a quick fr- first step. But he has a sloppy, sloppy footwork, not a good ball handler, doesn't use his left hand really at all, gets called for a ton of travels, can't really pass the ball well, has a slow shooting release off the catch and off the dribble. I, I just don't know what he brings offensively if he's not really, if he doesn't become a good spot up shooter. That's like the baseline you want from him. He can sit in a corner and hit spot up threes. But if he doesn't do that, then is he a zero on offense? Well, is to me, that's where defense? the, proje- the proje- uh, projection comes in. Because mm-hmm. to me, his floor is as a roll man. Like, just set him rolling right to the basket, like Clint Capella. That's his floor. At worst case, he can do that. They're, they're totally different players, though. No, he can Clint roll Clint. the rim. He didn't do it in Indiana, but why couldn't he do that? He's big enough to. I feel like he's big enough to be that rim rolling five in the modern NBA. So and that's where my projections coming from. Capella, when he jumps, it's like he's bouncing off a trampoline. OG can get to a high point, but he's not like explosive when he gets. There. I don't you know. know he's I mean? shooting seventy percent from the floor this year. Like that fool was dunking everything. Like I'll show you some clips. He, of him he had some people. big dunks. Uh, he's very I highly athletic. recommend people search on YouTube for OG Ananobi. Dunks. I mean, he's taking bubbles he, in the legs and Duncan when three sixties. I mean, this fool can get up. I'm not worried about he, that at all. It's still, it's different. It's different when you can jump out of the gym and like you, your vertical is fast and quick. You're right. I think, I, I think people would describe it as like a fast twitch athlete. I'm not so sure. OG is a fast twitch athlete. He's got great dimension, great physical dimensions, and he can get to a high point. But I think to be a roll man, you might need to get there a little bit quicker. Well, I mean, it's I just tough because he much. didn't roll much. In college. I think he rolled like twice all season. He's playing with Thomas Bryant, no point guard. Like Probably to me, barely at all. College offenses aren't exactly the most creative. They don't ever. It's, it's, that's one of the hardest things about right now is because so many college teams so post, post, post constantly, and nobody gets those pick and roll plays. There's not enough pick and roll. It's just a different game. It's becoming like college football in the, in the NFL somewhat. But to me, you get OG in space, it'll look better in more space with the real guard. That's, that's the thing to me. So, so basically, you see him as that one through five defender guy who can spot up shoot threes and then drive closeouts throw down dunks on fools and show up on on highlight reels that that's what I you mean, want to see from him as a baseline yeah like just like a smaller deandre you can dribble a bit like you compare his skill set to like you know a jason tatum then it's like worlds apart but you compare it to like an ike anagbogu who i like a lot ucla's freshman big they're about the same size it, oh geez huge compared to one of those rim rolling bigs he's very very skilled 
So when you when you let's let's kind of pivot here. When you evaluate those kind of more traditional big big men, right? I think Bam Adebayo from Kentucky, another guy. Um, Jared Allen from Texas is another. What? How do you view them? You know, in context, you know, with your feeling that Ananobi and Isaac are really those future of the five position in the NBA. Does it devalue those guys in some ways? For yeah, you? a little bit. Definitely. I mean, I like Al. What if the league doesn't change, though? I think that's what I always come back to. What what if the league kind of stays where it is now and doesn't become super, super progressive, like everybody playing like the Warriors or the Cavs with a a, a shooting five? Well, I mean, I think you just look at these playoffs. It's going to it's like evolution. It's like if you don't progress, you're going to get killed. I feel like Spurs Rockets, perfect example. Pop did not want to go small and the Rockets blew him off the floor. And he was like, well, I better adapt then. Like just to me. Given the way the rules are currently, I don't see how people don't change, if that makes sense. I just don't see how it's going to go back the old way with the rise of spread pick and roll, with the rise of the off dribble shooting three-point shooter. I don't see how it can go back. So these these players are probably all going to go to teams that don't that aren't a playoff team unless unless they go to the Celtics they're they're not going they're going to a non-playoff team. Wh- which organization do you think would be a great fit for a guy like Isaac? Well, I mean, I was going to say, like, in terms of progressive, the Mavs, my, bo- my boys, the Mavs are going to do all kinds of cool stuff. They got pretty spread of floor offense. Um, How about uh, the Wolves for Gosh, Isaac? I like the fit, but Tibbs doesn't seem like he wants to do that kind of stuff. Tibbs wants to play two bigs. He gave, he gave Gorgie, what, $65 million? I think like they're going to trade the pick first off. That's what I think Minnesota is going to do. Tibbs ain't got time for this. I mean, I- they tried last year. So yeah. I, th- I definitely think there's a possibility they would they would try again. Uh, I mean, not, you're more not, plugged not, in with front offices than me. Like, I wonder if Tibbs is like, man, my scouts kind of burned me and Chris Dunn. I'm not going to trust them again. I think it's too early to, to say that, though. Chris Dunn might be an older prospect, but he had a really unique college career. That's and true. Point, guard, point guards often take a while. I think I think may, maybe he did get burned. <laughs> maybe that's a possibility. But I, I think Chris Dunn still deserves more time. I just think, with you know, if you plug Isaac into the Minnesota Timberwolves roster, if Tibbs ha- has an awakening, awakening and he decides to play a little bit progressively, you could it's put Tibbs at the five. Oh, Isaac at the nasty, four. That's nasty, man. That's really, really hard to defend if you're... If those guys really come into their own like towns already is and they have they have two bigs they can space i mean that's the ideal spot for him for sure i think the knicks are another team that would be interesting for those guys i know i know a lot of knicks fans want a point guard but i think it would be intriguing to have one of those versatile forwards oh, next, next to, to porzingis, porzingis. be super yeah. interesting but are they gonna play the triangle right how long is that gonna last how many well phil's got what three years up on his contract <sighs> i mean i guess not to get digression but i feel like can the trial die already? Tilakina oh. is be the perfect triangle point guard. I feel like that might happen. Phil likes international players, I guess. Now he's I, a very triangly point guard. Frank, I just want the triangle to die. I don't. I don't mind diversity. It hasn't yeah, worked, but I don't mind I, different I know, things. I know. It's 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 fine. I I'll, I can live with it for three more years, <laughs> however long Phil Jackson stays there. What about what about Tatum? What do you think about Tatum in terms of fit um, hmm. for lottery teams? I'm curious here because I, I feel like you see you feel I think appropriately that he might be a harder to guy harder guy to plug in, whereas Isaac Ananobi and Jackson you can just plug and play into a lot of different situations. Well, because like Tatum, for example, in Minnesota would be a bad fit because he'd be so yeah. low on the depth chart and the pecking mm-hmm. order. He has to go somewhere he can get his shots. I mean, Sacramento he needs a, he doesn't really need a point guard because he gets his own shot anyways. Tatum kind of exists in his own little world. He's going to come in there. He's going to get his shots. Like, that's just going to happen. 
He needs some more with their space for their defense around him. I mean, Sacramento. I don't know. I'm thinking higher, man. What are you, what about I'm, Phoenix? I'm looking. I'm looking at Boston if they don't get the number one pick. Oh, so Tatum and two, Tatum, two, three, four. Tatum and Jalen Brown. That's pretty pretty interesting. Because they need that second scorer, man. We they see do. it now in the playoffs. Isaiah Thomas is incredible as he is, and and the system in which he's in that it really helps enable him to do what he does with, especially with Horford playing the five. They still need a second go to scorer for half court situations. There's no. I mean, you look and, at this game game four yesterday. This was the Wizards were like tripling Isaiah. They have time. Yeah. No one can make a shot. And it, it would help Isaiah's sake if Al Horford took more open threes, but that doesn't change. That's just not Al Horford's game, really. Exactly. Like, he's you know, he's really that third guy. He's definitely they need third that wheel. second. And Jalen Brown for them could be that. And perhaps there'd be a little bit of overlap with those two. But I I think Tatum is a better offensive prospect than Jalen Brown cool. is. For that matter, I think a lot of the forwards in this draft are better prospects than Jalen Brown as much as I liked him last year. I'm curious. I guess are we going to, if you don't sidetrack too much, what's your Jalen Brown take after one season? You watched him more than I have in Boston. I like him more than I did in the draft. I, and I loved him in the draft. I, I believe I had mm-hmm. him ranked third. I, I thought, I thought he was the right pick for the Celtics. I thought that he would have been my choice as well. Um, I still think he could become a very good player. The thing with him, and this is kind of the opposite of Tatum and why I like Tatum so much is for, for, for Brown feel for the game isn't yeah. really there as much and He's that's more of an kind athlete. of yeah. that kind of relates to why I'm not super there with Isaac either I just I prefer the guys who have great feel for the game where the game looks like it comes super super easy to them and, and the other part with Brown is you know he he's developed quite well as a defensive player um and I think, you know, the upside is there for him to be a great defensive player and, you know, tie this back to this year's players. I think one of my drawbacks, you know, I think Isaac will be a really good defensive player. I think Ananobi will be a great defensive player. But, you know, when I think about those small ball fives, I, th- I think about Draymond Green. Green is an ass kicker, man. He plays with such fire. Yeah. And I think that's the special ingredient with every defensive player, especially if you're playing that small ball five spot. And I don't really see that as much with Isaac Brown to relate it to last year. Brown a little bit more than I think Isaac and Ananobi. Um, I think OG, that, that, OG will get in your business. Worry about. Isaac is, I can see with Isaac, but OG, he'll get in your business. He's, he's a, I mean, he's a pretty competitive player. I interviewed he, him before the season. I, I liked him. He really reminded me of like Hawaii because he would give you nothing, but he was like super professional. I was like, this guy knows <laughs> up. He's a very mature 19-year-old. He was giving me like straight five-word answers. But you could tell he was smart. He was just like, I don't care about this guy or his article. I'm doing me. I'm going to do my thing. Whatever, bro. Like, get out of, I got to hit the gym. No, literally, I called him. He was about to go to the gym. Like, he hit his weights. He's like, man, I got to go. I got to, you know, get my bicep curls. Let's get this interview over with. I think he's got the right attitude. He, he doesn't read the ringer.com. <laughs> no, I asked him like four times about that. Like his recruiting rankings. He's like, bro, like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, when you play Jamal Murray and he's ranked high, he's like, dude, I don't even know who these people are. Like I'm just out here playing basketball. He, he, don't, he don't just matter. goes out and balls. Yeah. He's got no time for that. I think I think that's an encouraging sign for for a player who you know when I look at him offensively he seems kind of passive sometimes but if he's got that badass deep down inside and he's just waiting to be unleashed I think that's one of those things that really comes up for teams and in interviews and that's why this is really an important week for teams yeah, and sure. combine happening in Chicago those interviews can be really really important for not just determining who you like as a person, but creating separation between those prospects that you might have ranked closely. If you bring in two guys that your scouts kind of evaluate as equals, and one of them is a dud, boring, doesn't really 
portray that he cares a whole lot about getting better and the other guys like i want to be the best player i can be i want to you know raise my game to the next level and he has evidence with his own development that backs it up that's where i think a lot of steals are found not just in you know in the second round like the Draymond greens of the world but in the deep lottery too because every year you mentioned choir earlier there's a lot of guys in that range devin booker who just pan out into great players and they immediately exceed expectations and when you when you look back even two months ago you're thinking man why this guy go 13 and not three yeah i mean that's it's like the combine it's just your background where you go and talk to these programs talk to the teachers talk to the coaches talk to the trainers that's a huge part and that's the part we in our position really can't do but that's a huge part of the process is just yeah how much do you want to work how much will money affect you are you a team player are you selfish and yeah that stuff can be huge once you get power that can make a huge at any point in the draft they, they literally dig up everything it, it, it's remarkable how much research they do and, and it's and it doesn't just happen in the last few months or the last year once these kids commit to college it, it's happening when they're sophomores and juniors in high schools all this information is tracked accumulated and not only that it's not just for the draft it's for four years from now when they hit free agency it's for eight years from now when they hit restricted free agency it's for any time at all during trade negotiations that's when the information sometimes can be most valuable is during pro personnel the Decisions, not draft night decisions. No, it's pretty much how when we had you at the ringer, I went back through your Facebook and LinkedIn. I was asking around, <laughs> Kevin. We can't have any fool come to our site. We were really digging into your stuff, man. It was good hey, though. Man. You're here, so I, I, you got, we gave you the thumbs up. So that's all right. All I, good. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you to Jonathan Charks for joining me on the first edition of High Upside, and thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another show. In the meantime, please leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, and be sure to read our draft coverage and NBA playoff coverage on TheRinger.com. Thank you again. Peace out. Peace out.